0: Happy Wednesday, Pete Callender here, News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Yeah, still, uh, I'm, on the, I'm on the mend, I'm rebounding, I'm getting better. I feel like I'm getting better. Still a little swimmy-headed, but uh, feeling much better. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. All right. So Hunter Biden crashed the contempt hearing. On Capitol Hill, where he's being held in contempt for refusing to come and testify before the committee in a closed session deposition and then in an open session. He only wanted to be in open session. So they issued the subpoena for him to be deposed behind closed doors. You'll recall a couple weeks ago he refused, but showed up anyway. He refused. He showed up at the Capitol, and then he did a press conference out in front. Actually, he didn't give a press conference. He gave a speech, like six minutes long, and then he then he walked away. He didn't take any questions. So they are now ho- voting to hold him in contempt, House Judiciary Committee. And he showed up today. He sat in the front row with his lawyer and uh, I think I heard... I think Vince Coakley referred to him as his sugar brother, which is like the the lawyer friend of his who gave him two million dollars or whatever it was to pay off his back taxes that he owed. That guy, Um, Morris. Right. I think his name. Anyway, they both showed up there and or all three of them showed up. And um, Nancy Mace, Congresswoman from South Carolina, uh, said he was the he's the epitome of white privilege And then uh, stated that he might be testicularly challenged, as in he doesn't have any. I I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand why. And then Marjorie Taylor Greene went to start talking and Biden and his two lawyer friends got up and stormed out, quote, stormed out. And they were like, oh, wow, you afraid of my words and all of this. And so that now becomes that will be the video. That's the clip. Everyone's going to show that clip in their newscast. So he is and his team, right? This is obviously the point is to try to shape the narrative and direct the coverage that a lot of media will willingly go along with. They are happy to oblige the Bidens on this. But I wanted to play for you a clip because I thought this was um, this is the meat of the case. This is the heart of the argument at the hearing today, and it is laid out quite clearly by our own Congressman Dan Bishop. And then there's a a bit of a, a follow-up at the end. But this is Congressman Dan Bishop. This was about 45 minutes into the hearing. Um,
1: Mr. Chairman, I, uh, I submit that whenever you have an issue under debate, the surest sign of weakness in an argument is to avoid the question, to talk about anything but the question in issue. Now, I I do compliment the gentlelady from Texas for her point just made. She focused on the issue, uh, but I I do uh, eagerly undertake her challenge. She says, you cannot make an argument that Hunter Biden is in contempt. How can you argue he will not come, she said, when he said he would come? Well here's how. He was issued a subpoena for a deposition. He stated publicly and in correspondence that he would not testify in a deposition, that he wanted to do it his way in an open hearing. Well, that's contempt. And it is open and shut, cut and dried, as simple as it can possibly be. So the the subject under debate is whether an ordinary citizen who defies a subpoena of a congressional impeachment inquiry should be held to account. And there is also no need, really, to debate that. Quite to the contrary, from the, the point the suggestion of the General Lady from California, the weight is all on the other side. And interestingly enough, in the matters of Bannon and Navarro, every member of the minority is on record to that effect. Indeed, members of the minority have gone farther than that. Mr. Raskin has specifically addressed the purported basis for objection that Hunter Biden has offered, stating that the proper course is to first have private testimony in a deposition, to explore facts thoroughly and in the the way that that mode of examination permits, and then to have a public hearing after. Nobody that I can recall in the minority took issue with that point. But here's really the salient and final aspect that makes this clear beyond argument. This may be the most brazenly recalcitrant witness defying Congress in the history of the, of the Congress that I'm aware of. Now there may be some other situation in which this has been done. But the mem- but the person who is subject to the subpoena I hear the laughter on the other side so let me go further I don't know that anyone has ever come onto the complex in the shadow of the United States Capitol building suborned and assisted by another member of Congress a member of this committee
0: swallow stood Swalwell.
1: in the triangle and vowed to the media that he was defying the subpoena of a congressional Impeachment inquiry. I don't know that that's ever been done. And I certainly don't believe that it's ever been the case that a member of Congress has made arrangements for that brazen defiance of Congress to be expressed on the Capitol, in the Capitol complex, on the plaza. So if you want to talk about the issue, it is not a close call. If you want to talk about what happened in the previous Congress and whether Congress can subpoena members of Congress to testify before a committee, especially when that committee has falsified and fabricated evidence to its eternal shame, then you can talk about those other issues. And I would if I were you, because you certainly cannot meet the simple proposition that is before us now. Would the And you certainly cannot deny. The duty of this committee to respond to that brazen defiance. Would, would the gentleman yield? I will. All right. And so I, I promise I'll yield back to you down the
0: road. All right. So I'm going to pause it right there because uh, there's an exchange that Bishop has with Congressman Coons, I believe is uh, uh, Chris Coons, I think is his name, um, from Maryland, I want to say, um, and then what's her name, Jamara jamapaya jamalaya i forget i'll look it up during the break um i think she's also from maryland then she has a follow-up to the follow-up and you trust me you're going to want to hear it you're going to want to hear it right now all right do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe are you concerned it's going to reach our shores okay so what are you doing about your concerns let me help carolina readiness supply Camping and hiking supplies, even because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at CarolinaReadiness.com, veteran owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? The email is Pete at the pete show.com and uh, on Twitter at pete PeteCallender. All right, so Congressman Dan Bishop. I thought laid out uh, the case very well, and the case is pretty well, in my mind, open and shut. It's, hey, we issued you a subpoena, and then you refused to come, and you stood out front of our door and held a, uh, a public appearance. You gave a speech about how you would not be going into the closed-door deposition um, as you've been subpoenaed to do, and then you walked away. And so that, to me, is a pretty clear case of contempt, Right. You, you refuse to show for a subpoena, you are held in contempt of Congress. Very easy case. But Democrats don't want to argue that point because it's such an easy case for the Republicans. And, you know, inversely, it's nearly impossible to argue otherwise. So they want to talk about how Congressman Jim Jordan was subpoenaed as part of the January 6th committee investigation. And Jim Jordan, they say, did not comply with the subpoena. And so he was in contempt. Except, slight detail, they never actually held him in contempt. right? Uh, Also, um, he did respond to the J6 committee chairman, Benny Thompson. Wrote him an 11-page letter. Thompson never wrote him back. So, why wouldn't the Democrats you know, try to drop the hammer. Well, probably because there are legal arguments to be made that you can't actually subpoena a sitting member of Congress to testify before the Congress. You can't do that. There's, I don't know all of the ins and outs of the legal theory and the arguments, but it's a point of contention. That would have to be debated. Lawyers would be involved, I'm sure. Um, At any rate, the subpoena expired. As they all do at the end of the congressional term, and so when the J six committee was done with its work, and it produced its um, its uh, movie, subpoenas ended. And when Congress uh, adjourned, and they you swore in the, the we have the new Congress get sworn in, then all those old subpoenas they spoil. So they're they're no good anymore. But I guess if Democrats want to try to bring Jim Jordan up on some sort of contempt charges, I guess they are free to do so. But um, they'd have to subpoena him first, and they'd have to do it as part of a committee, which, by the way, they don't control anymore, so not exactly sure how they would go about doing that. But they want to talk about that. See, because I just spent two minutes talking about that, and that means they don't have to talk about Hunter Biden obviously being in contempt. So here is, uh, and uh, I misidentified this guy. This is Congressman uh, Glenn Ivey from Maryland. And then uh, after he is done, you're going to hear from Pramila Jayapal from Washington, both Democrats.
1: But the point I would just make here is that the difference between Hunter Biden and, as you you mentioned, uh, Navarro and Bannon – is that navarro and bannon totally stonewalled congress they didn't produce any documents they didn't offer to testify in any way and they didn't provide any testimony of any kind by contrast here, was, let me take my time back because i've only got another 20 seconds and i don't want to i don't want to just leave and, and, and we'll come back to it and have further further colloquy if you like and i appreciate the gentleman from maryland's uh, collegial interaction i think that is a distinction without a difference i don't think In fact, I think it makes it worse that Hunter Biden goes to media and and declares and decides how he will testify to Congress. He will come to a public meeting, but he will not do what Congress has commanded by a lawful subpoena. I don't think it's a distinction that favors him. I think it's one that requires us to act. And my time's expired. The gentleman yields back who seeks recognition. The gentleman from Washington is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, I appreciate the passion from my friend across the aisle and the outrage. I think we're all outraged about many things. But if we're going to talk about outrageous things that have happened or things that have never happened, let's talk about the fact that President Trump incited an erection. And
0: maybe that, Oh, my too. gosh. <laughs> yeah, you could talk about that, too, I guess.
1: Maybe we should talk about that, too. The president incited an insurrection. Maybe-
0: okay. Uh, Yeah, I just happened to catch that last uh, bit of the clip. And, uh, yeah, clown show, clown show territory. All right. So now you're pretty well caught up. And then Hunter Biden storms out. Right. So you're caught up on the uh, on the contempt hearing. I have little doubt that they're going to hold him in contempt. I don't know what actually you can do about it after that, but we'll see. North Carolina 8th Congressional District Republican primary debate. It's going to be at Wingate University's Bat Center, moderated by Bo and Beth from The Morning Show. Um, and uh, the whole WBT team is going to be there throwing some questions around at all of the candidates. They've all agreed. I think there are six of them. They've all agreed uh, to uh, participate. Thank you to the venue sponsor, Winged University. If you want to go, you can go to WBT.com, get all the details, and reserve your free ticket. All right? So uh, we'll see you there. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Let's go over to Jim. Welcome to the program. Hello, Jim.
2: Hey, Pete. Hey, I just wanted to make comment. I think maybe the Republicans missed a golden opportunity at that hearing today and from what some of the comment commentary was, they it was not really a surprise. They suspected they might try to pull a stunt like that. Those guys have to know what questions they want to ask Connor. If I'd been Comer, I would have thought taking a 15-20 minute recess, come back in and say, Mr. Biden, I'm going to let you testify publicly today. We're going to put you under oath, and we're going to ask you questions, because all he would have done, Pete, would be taking the Fifth Amendment. He's not going to, if they subpoenaed him and brought him in, he's going to take the Fifth Amendment because he's got two other indictments. Now, it's constitutional right to take the Fifth, but I think most Americans, they look at pleading the Fifth as, you know, you may be more likely guilty than you are innocent. You're hiding something. I would have let him plead the fifth all day long, but I think that maybe that would have been a good strategy since he brought, brought himself in there, right. all this bluff, and done that.
0: Well, no, that, that's, a, um, that, I mean, that's a fair tactic. I'm um, just trying to think how that would play out, because I don't think that he was prepared like if that, it was a stunt, right? So if he shows up, and he's sitting in the audience, and then they're like, hey, you know what, you're here, tell you what, we'll take you up on your offer, come on over. And they bring well, him up, and so he would one then... One of the
2: Democratic ha- congressmen suggested that they do that. Right, can you just lower that?
0: Yeah, um, the, uh, well, yeah, and... Allow him to testify, Had yeah, they publicly. Right, so but here, had here he, he done is, that, do it. had he done that, I don't think that um, he would have stuck around for it. I don't I I don't I don't either. Right. I don't believe that he would have done that. I don't believe he would have have said, well, we weren't prepared for this today. You know, we we would want time to prepare our client like the lawyer would make that argument. So I don't think and then they would have no hearing. You know, the
2: Republicans could say, well, he doesn't really want a public hearing
0: either. Right. Sure. No, that's that's fair. I, I don't know if they I don't think that they expected him to be there. I think they were all caught by surprise.
2: They said there was a lot of Secret Service agents in the halls and in the room, so they there was some suspicion. Yeah, but uh, but I appreciate you taking my yes, call. Sir. But I think I would have done it differently. I would have let hoped he'd take the fifth. Yeah. all day long.
0: Now, I mean, that would have been a sight. Also, I appreciate the call, Jim. That's a yeah. That would have been that would have been different. Um, they could have asked him all sorts of questions about, well, you know, about Burisma, as you know, Jim Jordan, the chairman of the committee, laid out all of the argument at the beginning. Um, why they're, you know, why uh, Hunter is the focus, uh, part of the focus of this impeachment inquiry. Um, You know, there's another aspect here, though. uh, This was from the uh, uh, Comer's committee, James Comer's, the chair of the oversight committee. And they did a deposition in closed session of George Berger. Do you know who that is? That's... Hunter Biden's art representative. George Berger said he never worked with the White House to establish an ethics agreement so as to be sure that Hunter Biden and the Biden family would not know the identities of the people who were buying Hunter's artwork for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Berger's testified before the House Oversight Committee yesterday. And the New York Post got the readout of the closed-door deposition. Quote, The art dealer testified that Hunter Biden knew who bought about 70% of his art, including a woman by the name of Elizabeth Hirsch Neftali, who obtained works by Hunter Biden before and after scoring a prestigious presidential appointment right the whole the whole idea the washington post reported back in 2021 the whole idea was that there was this privacy agreement remember the washington post assured us that there was some sort of an agreement a privacy agreement so hunter biden and the and the biden crime family uh, family would not know who bought the works of art. So this way there could obviously be no kind of quid pro quo or any kind of pay to play, no kind of corruption or bribery, nothing right. Because nobody knows who bought the pieces of artwork. And I remember when that story came out and we said, that's ridiculous. Of course they know who bought the art. They, Cause there's, there's nothing to prevent somebody from saying, yeah, I bought this artwork, <laughs> right? Which people did. But the Washington post assured us, you know democracy dies in darkness and they said no no privacy agreement keep it all in the dark so nobody knows so see that no ethical concerns slight problem not true never happened there was no there was no privacy agreement there was no ethics pact that was drawn up between the white house and bergers the art representative hunter biden took in more than $1.3 million for his artwork. Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer uh, said that this is an ethics nightmare. Quote, the vast majority of Hunter Biden's art has been purchased by Democrat donors, one of whom was appointed by President Biden to a commission after she purchased Hunter's art for tens of thousands of dollars shortly after Joe Biden's inauguration. I'm sure it's completely coincidental. Completely coincidental. Wasn't one of the other artwork purchasers, wasn't she a family member of one of the Hamas hostages that got released? U.S. dual Israeli uh, citizen, I think. I want to say there was another art purchaser who got some sort of special treatment. And then there's this at semaphore.com under the the title presidential privilege do you know biden's re-election campaign is doing a series of off-the-record trips for reporters uh, seems problematic remember get the podcast go to the pete click subscribe it's totally free pick any platform you choose by the way keep in mind the uh, Google Podcasts are going away. They're getting folded into, I think, uh, YouTube music or something. Anyway, so uh, if, you're, if you're getting your podcasts on the Google platform, uh, that will be going away sometime, I want to say, around between March and, and summertime, I think, if I recall correctly. All right, let's go to the phones here and get Pete. Uh, yeah, Peter, welcome to the program. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. What's going on? First.
3: First time caller. Um, welcome to Charlotte. By the way.
0: Well, um, hey, I've been here since like '92, so.
3: Well, I was here before you. <laughs> uh, anyway, I was just wanted to point out the fact um, that most artists that are living don't make much money off of their artwork. Mm. So the art is usually valued a lot higher uh, after the individual has passed away. That's true. So, yeah, you, know, you can make lies all day long, but. Uh, they're really easy to poke
0: holes in, you know. What are wh- which are the lies?
3: That the artwork is what is being sold and not the influence
0: Right. of the N- Biden family. Have you obviously. seen have you seen any of the Hunter Biden artwork?
3: I have not, but uh my 3-year-old does some pretty good artwork <laughs> that's probably more valuable.
0: Oh, uh, well, that's possible <laughs> uh although i did we had uh one one caller uh, a couple of months back walking bob i think uh, and he said he had seen it, and he said they're actually pretty decent i don't know if it's 1.3 million dollars total good but right. uh yeah yeah no it, it is right like you're either it, it's sort of like um uh autograph collections and people go out and they get right. uh autographs on records and stuff right by the artist and you're, you're talking about two different types of collectors, though. Like the autographs, uh, people don't really want them on the records. Those are record collectors. They don't care about the autographs. And, and so you've actually devalued your record. Um, but the autograph, <laughs> it only becomes super expensive after the person dies because they're not doing any more of them. Like Picasso used to autograph right. everything, and he devalued his own autographs. So that's it. Yeah, at least that's what Saturday Night Live taught me. Anyway, Peter, thanks for the call, man. Good to hear from you. Hi. <laughs> right. Yeah, you too. Thanks. See ya. Yeah. Um, John Lovitz playing the role of Picasso. All right. So presidential privilege. Biden's reelection campaign has begun organizing a series of off the record trips for top political reporters and editors to the team's headquarters in Wilmington, Delaware. And they meet with senior officials, including the campaign manager, deputies and other high ranking advisors for background briefings on campaign strategy. <laughs> Which, like Is this really a surprise? I mean, the funny thing here is that the reporters and the editors and stuff, they all believe that they are influencing the election strategy anyway. And so this, all this is like, hey, you fly them to Delaware and it makes them feel important, right? Because if you don't, then they might get it into their heads that, them offering you all of this you know, campaign strategy and advice that they do you know, in their columns or uh, in their news reports and such, they might get the idea that you're not listening to them. But this way, you fly them down, you sit them down, and they're like, oh, my gosh, they're interested in my thoughts and my opinions on how to win. Oh, my goodness. They're also using it, the campaign, the Biden campaign is using it as an opportunity to tell them what they're getting wrong. Two people with knowledge of the situation told Semaphore that during meetings with reporters from outlets like the New York Times, the Washington Post, and others, campaign officials have invoked a coverage spreadsheet. They made a spreadsheet laying out areas where the Biden team believes that their reporting has fallen short. So they're making a spreadsheet of all of the stories that are done that, we think you could have done a little bit better by us. We, we, we wish this report was, you know, shaded a bit differently. Campaign officials in particular have chafed at some of the coverage of former President Donald Trump. Biden, the Biden team feels that outlets are too focused on his legal troubles and haven't paid enough attention to some of his incendiary recent statements on the campaign trail. So they're directing coverage. They're literally flying editors and reporters to the campaign headquarters and directing coverage. They're literally doing this now. A source familiar told Semaphore that, that's the publication, semaphore.com by Ben Smith. A source familiar told Semaphore that with the exception of its recent meetings with the Times, the campaign meetings had been, quote, substantive and productive And that Biden's staffers were scheduled to meet in coming days with political reporting teams from ABC, NBC, the Wall Street Journal, Fox, NPR, Reuters, Bloomberg and others. It's a full court press trying to direct coverage. The funny thing is that, like, some of four actually reported this. I doubt anybody is going to be shamed or embarrassed by the report. They're not going to stop it. I don't know why they would.